apologetics. I enjoy apologetics. And so I'm one of those guys who, who fairly regularly is, um, is uh, watching some debate between an atheist and a Christian or watching some apologist defend some part of the Christian faith. Um, I, I, often, uh, I often find myself even listening to Christians debating various aspects of theology because, uh, because often in that debate you find what the rub is, the, the challenge that we Christians are trying to sort out God's truth on. Um, and just the other day, uh, it was not deliberate, but just the other day, I was, I was watching a, a, a question and answer session between a Christian apologist on a, uh, and, and some students on a college campus. And this text was brought up. I had no idea that this text was going to be part of it. But the student stood up and he said to this, a Christian, to, to this Christian apologist, if if God appeared to you and told you to sacrifice your child to prove your devotion to him, would you do it? What would you do? And, and the context was, what kind of God does that to a man? Right? Tells a man to offer his son as a sacrifice. And, and he challenges this Christian apologist. And, and the, the answer that the apologist gave was legitimate. I have, to be, I have to be honest, because of what was going on, I wasn't able to finish listening to his whole answer. But he opens up his answer with this. I have no idea what I would do. And I'll tell you the scripture that I refer to. Um, Peter was so certain that he would go to the cross and die with Jesus, and then he denied him three times and failed. None of us really know what we'll do until we're put in that circumstance. And how many of you would agree that that's legitimate? Okay? That's a legitimate answer. But off and on over the next couple of days, the thought was just kind of troubling me. How would I answer that question? I don't know what he went on to say. But I, I want to tell you how I would answer that question, at least as that maybe 10 years from now it will be different. But this is how I would answer the question today. The way I would answer the question today is this. There is no way I would sacrifice my child on an altar. There is no way. Now you might say to yourself, what is your problem if God asked you to do that? Can you just bear with me for one second? You and I are living in a different time and place. And you and I have the advantage of this right here. And what this reveals to us is that the sacrifice for sin has been offered. And the proof of our devotion to God is our acceptance of His sacrifice for us. I believe, listen, anything that I would claim that God speaks to me, I would test through this. And since the sacrifice has been offered, that's not a sacrifice I have to make today. Amen. I would say, that would be an evil spirit tempting me to do something wrong. And my answer to whatever, a vision, a dream, would be, thus saith the Lord. The sacrifice has been offered, our sins have been atoned for, and my devotion to you is lived out through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not fall for that. Amen. I don't know what... That's, that's where I stand today. I really believe that the sacrifice has been offered. Listen, much ado is made about Abraham and what God asked of him, but let's not forget that God asked something extraordinarily extreme of one man, one time in all of history, in order to provide for us a picture of what he wanted to do in saving the world through his only begotten son that he loved, Jesus Christ. That's not a test he puts every man through. And it's certainly not a test he would ask of you today, post-Jesus Christ's sacrifice. I really believe we can stand up and say, listen, I don't think that answer is going to satisfy an unbelieving mind. 
But as Christians, I believe we can say this. We have the revealed Word of God. We know what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And everything gets filtered through this truth. Everything gets filtered through this truth. Right? And, and, so, and so you and I should be people that are so Christ-centered, so focused on what Jesus did for us at the cross, that that becomes the answer to almost everything. That we say, how do I relate to what's in front of me through the cross of Jesus Christ? How do I understand this? Knowing the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I find it amazing that there's absolutely nothing in this passage that's said about Sarah. And I got to tell you, that if a man is asked to sacrifice one of his, his, his only child on an altar, you got a marriage issue on your hands. Okay? Am, am I right or am I right? You got a marriage issue. Okay? Like, I don't know how that conversation went with Sarah. I don't even know if Abraham had the conversation with Sarah. <laughs> Maybe he just says, I'm taking Isaac and we're going to go offer a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And it's best that I not tell her any of the other <laughs> details about this. I don't know what Abraham did. I have no idea. I just know that I've, I've wondered about what this, what this conversation might have been like between Abraham and Sarah. And I've wondered if, you remember that strange statement in the New Testament when, when, when Peter writes and he says um, to wives, uh, uh, tells them how they're to relate to their husbands if they won't be won by a word. And then he gives us Sarah as an example. And he throws in this phrase, as long as you're not afraid with any sudden fear. I wonder if it was related to this. I wonder if it was related to, to, to Sarah having to say, my husband's going to go offer my son as a sacrifice and I'm going to let him do it. And I'm not going to live in fear over it. I, I'm just going to say, if, if that's the case and Scripture does not explicitly say so, Sarah goes up in my estimation by several notches. <laughs> what kind of woman is able to trust God through that? Be an awful thing to have to come to terms with, right? What an amazing thing to have to live through. Now, I don't, I don't know what's going on this morning, but I mentioned that series on the Duggars and Gothard in Sunday school this morning. We just finished watching it. And I have to mention it again right now. I recently watched the first two episodes. Uh, in fact, since watching the first two, since completing, I've actually watched the, the next two. So I've watched all four of them now. Um, and so this might not mean much to those of you who aren't familiar with the Duggar family or with the Institute and Basic Life Principles. Um, so you can tune out for like the next two minutes if you're not familiar with, with any of this. But there's a lot of us that are aware of the impact that this organization had on lots of families that we do know. And it had a powerful impact, impact on a lot of families. Some of that impact was good, and some of it was really not good. <laughs> And so I just want to say this to, to us as men. Um, God, God has called us as men who are supposed to lead our families. He's called us to a certain role. But the, the teaching that was presented through that organization had an unbelievably strong emphasis on authority and on everybody lining up under authority and being obedient to authority and this idea that there was an umbrella of authority that was protective for everyone and that 
If you weren't obedient to your authority, you were out from under the umbrella of protection and Satan would rain on you all day long. And please hear this. It's not that there's no truth at all to that idea. There is value in in being under some form of covering. Um, It's as imperfect as all of these human structures are. There's value to being under the protection of an authority like a denomination. Like, U-Haul would have resource to call upon help if, you know, I come back from sabbatical and I go crazy and I start preaching heresy or something. You guys have recourse to to turn to. My kids laugh. Um, uh, There's recourse. There's protection available to you. And so, so there's... There's value in an extremely independently minded generation to call us to understand some ideas about authority and the legitimacy that they have in our lives. But please hear this, men. There are legitimate limits to what it means that we are called to be the heads of our homes. There are limits to this. And... And there is a deep need for wisdom in the way that this applies. You see, um, one of the things that I have said, said repeatedly and will continue to say periodically is that our wives are God's daughters before they are our wives. In other words, God may have a certain order for the ways that they, things function on this earth, But number one, I better be careful how I'm treating God's daughter. And number two, if I'm asking her to do something that is displeasing to the Lord, she has a higher authority to live out before. And and by the way, one of the tragedies of this video series is that the package of teachings was orchestrated in such a way that when abuse was happening, it was kept quiet and kept quiet for far too long. And I just want to say this openly to you as ladies. My sisters in the Lord, submission to your husband does not mean tolerating abuse for the sake of submission to the Lord. Now, it does mean sometimes suffering because... I don't know any wife that doesn't suffer with her husband. I also don't know any wife, any husbands that don't suffer with their wives. I mean, it's marriage, my friends. There's some suffering involved in this whole thing. Like, if you're if you're in a dating relationship and and the stars, the sun rises and sets on the person you just wait, just wait. Your day of suffering's a coming. <laughs> right? You know why? Listen, this is a basic truth of Scripture that the fall has touched all of us. Right? That all of us have been impacted by the fall. That all of us are to one degree or another broken creatures. And therefore, when you marry a broken creature, and you are a broken person marrying a broken person, there's going to be stuff. Right? There's going to be difficulties. You just get used to that. You accept that. And, And listen, and for the most part, we are called by God to suffer well together, to let iron sharpen iron and recognize that it's part of Him making us into the people that He wants us to be. But please hear this. There are limits. And if one of your children is being abused, you don't need to hear the message to stay under authority. You need to hear the message that there are other authorities that are called by God to walk alongside you and you need to call for some help. And you're not being ungodly and you're not being unsubmissive to call for help. And men, all of us, needs somebody in our lives that has the ability to correct us. A man who is without any correction is a tyrant and is going to break things badly. And I absolutely believe 
that part of the reason why God established the church is for there to be a check and balance. That's just one of them. Oh, by the way, the police sometimes are another one. Sometimes the only right thing to do is to call the police. <laughs> but please hear this. But the church is a check and balance. That, that there's no ultimate authority apart from God. The rest of us just have our little roles to play. And, and we, are, we are responsible for those roles in the checks and balances of other people that are called to fulfill their roles. And we need to acknowledge this. So whatever happened with Abraham and Sarah, uh, whatever that conversation was like, men, we need to remind ourselves. I mean, um, I've heard too many jokes about Sarah calling Abraham Lord and what that should mean for our marriages. The point of submission to authority is real and it's true. But the point that there are limits to authority and that those limits need to be understood and applied with a great deal of wisdom is also true. All of us are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful lest, lest things go haywire on us. We need to be careful. We need to be, pay attention. Now, that being said, we happen to live in a day when marriage... Uh, I'm sorry, men, our roles have limits and need of wisdom. But we're living in a day when biblical truths need to be upheld because we're living in a time when marriage and roles and even gender itself are being deconstructed and being deconstructed radically. The idea that a man in any way in any way, would have the responsibility to lead a family is an outrageous suggestion in today's world. It's an outrageous suggestion. It's sexism. We are, we are systematically erasing all boundaries and all instructions that God has given to us. And, and our culture, quote-unquote, proves that these, that these, that these uh, uh, boundaries need to be removed by the, by the extremes that we see, some of which comes out of Christian culture. The, the times that it was done badly, see, this is completely an, uh, 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 an awful idea. Well, actually, it's not an awful idea. It's just that we do it badly sometimes. We do it badly sometimes. My brothers and sisters, um, the church is called to live under the lordship of Christ and the reality is that throughout human history, this has meant that the church is commonly walking out of step with the culture around it. I, I've been saying this a lot and repeating myself a lot here, but we have lived for a long time in a place where our Christian way of viewing things was widely validated by the country in which we lived, the culture in which we lived, and that's no longer the case. In other words, we are stepping more and more into the normal Christian experience that our brothers and sisters throughout history have had to live. Most Christians have lived in cultures that did not agree with them. And they just had to live out of step with the world around them. We are going to have to become increasingly willing to live this way. And please hear this. And we're going to have to get so good at it that the world sees a testimony through us. We can't afford to blow this. This is part of our testimony. Let me give you a quick advertisement. Yes, I can't help it. I'm planning for when I get back. Um, in August, in August, I want to bring together our youth and our adults in our Bible study. And I want to focus on um, 
four philosophers in the past 100 years that, that each contributed a big idea. And these four ideas have culminated in what we see happening in the world around us, which is a form of insanity. Okay? I think there will be some help in understanding why we got to where we are today. And we'll help parents and children have some conversations together about what it means to live in the world today with, with children who have these devices at their fingertips and have access to voices that are speaking from a certain, certain perspective. Most of them don't know where they got their ideas from. They don't know where they came from or why they have them. They just know that this is the way things are supposed to be, right? And, and we have to know as a church how to talk about these issues between us in an appropriate way. And so my goal is going to be to present the big ideas and then to help facilitate some conversations between parents and children so that we can understand why is it that we're living this way as Christians today? Why do we do the things that we do? Why are... Listen, children, youth, why are you going to be different from the world around you? What does it mean for you to live as a man or woman of God in your generation? These are the issues we're going to wrestle with during the month of August on Wednesday nights. And I'm pretty excited about doing this. I will do my best not to make it like obnoxiously so that the, the youth are like, I hate listening to this, and I hate talking about this. I don't get what he's... It's going to be down to earth as it can be made, okay? And I think it'll facilitate good conversation. That's my advertisement for Wednesday nights in August. All right. So from this, from this text, from this text, these marriage issues, how we understand authority, right? How we put this together. I want to start moving on from this, and I want to look at a few things that this text has to say to us. Um, and I want to speak specifically to the men. I want to share with you five challenges, men. The other word you could choose is encouragements. You can look at them as, oh, no, this is what I have to be. Or you can look at them as someone's encouraging you on, cheering you on, right, to, to pursue what God has for you. So five challenges and or encouragements for you, for us as men, on this Father's Day. The first one is tests of faith. Now, verse 1, we're told explicitly, God put Abraham to a test. That's what it says. God tested Abraham with this. Um, now, how do we understand this test? Verse 1 here in, in Genesis 22 is where the test is given. James chapter 1, verse 13 says that God does not tempt any man to sin because he himself cannot be tempted with sin, right? That sin and God do not go together, and, and God does not tempt a man to sin, and, and this is an explicit statement about who God is and his character, and yet we read in this text that God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. Does that sound like a sin to you? Does it seem like it's a contradiction? Right? At first glance, it seems like a contradiction. Can I tell you this? There's a difference between testing and tempting. And I want to tell you why there's a big difference here. You ready for this? Please hear this. If, a if God had told Abraham to do something sinful that Abraham would have delighted to do, that would have been a temptation. But killing your child is not something that a man wants to do. This was not a temptation. This was a test. See, if all we do is look simply at the surface and we say, well, killing your child is an evil thing to do. God's not supposed to tempt people. He tempted Abraham. No. Let me just pause here for a second. And man, I want you to be honest and raise your hands. How many of you can think of some things that would be sin for you to do that if God told you to do it, you'd love the excuse. Come on now. Right? Like, if God told me to do something that... 
my sinful nature craves, and I had the excuse God told me to do it, if God told me to do something like that, that would be a temptation to sin. But when God tells Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, he's telling him to do something that he absolutely does not want to do. In other words, it's not temptation like Satan does. Satan appeals to our sinful nature, things that we would want that would be sinful against God, and he tempts us to do those things in defiance of God. This was a test. We have to understand the difference between a test and a temptation. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. I want to say this, however. Men, we have to face the fact that tests are a part of every serious Christian person's life. Male, female, doesn't matter. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. If I had been more creative and had thought about it a little bit better, I would have titled this message, No Fine Print. Because like a lot of people feel like they step into the Christian life and Jesus will forgive your sins and then they find out all what it means to follow it and nobody told me the fine print. I'm, I'm not interested in fine print. I'm going to tell you like it is right up front. You need to know that being a Christian is going to mean you're going to be tested. Period. It's part of the Christian walk. We get tested in places in our lives. And please hear this. By definition of what a test is, it's likely to be difficult and unpleasant. That's why it's a test. If it was simple and desirable, it would be a delight, not a test. A test is by definition difficult. You will be tested in ways that are significant for you. You will be tested in ways that are significant to you. I've said it already. It was not an enticement to sin. It was a test. It was a test that God, that God uh, put to Abraham. And it was a test that was a unique event. It had messianic implications. It was a picture of salvation. It was very specific one time for a reason. But it was Abraham's test. My brothers and sisters, God is going to test us. There will be things in life that will test us. Lots of you are going to be put in positions where you're going to have to choose between sinning against God and keeping your job. You might be put in that circumstance. Compromise your integrity or run the risk of missing out on a promotion because you don't do the things that you're quote-unquote supposed to do. And you're going to have to face the test of what am I committed to? Who am I committed to? Will I do what's right even if it costs me something? I don't know exactly how this sorts out for everyone, but, but we will face tests. This is part of the Christian life. The second thing that I want to look at just very quickly is God's leading, verses 2 and 3. And I put the word progressive. I really believe this to be the case. I don't know exactly how it worked out in Abraham's life, but I know this. I know that in verse 2, Abraham is told, go to this place that I will show to you, of which I will tell you. And then verse 3 tells us that Abraham arose and went to the place of which God told him. I don't know how much information God gave to Abraham or when, but I know that at the end, when he finally arrives at Mount Moriah, he lifts up his eyes and he sees the place that God had told him about. He recognizes it. In other words, there's something progressive about the way that God leads Abraham. He tells him to do something, and then he shows to Abraham as Abraham obeys. He shows to Abraham what the next step is. And I just want to say this to us as men. How many of you have a tendency to get paralyzed sometimes in decision-making because you can't see the end from the beginning? You have kind of a sense that you need to take a step, but you don't know how it's going to work out, so you don't take the step. You know what I'm talking about? My brothers and sisters, 
God almost never tells us the end of the story. He teaches us to trust him. And we take a step of obedience and he reveals himself to us. Please hear this. It is usually more important what he reveals to us about ourselves and, to him, and, and about him to us than it is where he gets us to in the series of decisions we have to make. The exercise of trust, the exercise of obedience is usually actually the main thing. Not the, did I pick the right job? The big thing is, do I have the courage to move under God's direction? Can I tell you this? We think way too much of our mistakes. I'm not encouraging you to live a careless life. But I will tell you this. A man who lives obediently before God, if the mistake he makes is sincere, I promise you this, God will catch you and not let you fall. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I promise he'll catch you. You know why? God does not waste obedient, sincere men. He doesn't. Like if you've agonized and you've wrestled it out and you come to the place where you, the place where you say, God, this is the best decision I know how to make. I believe I'm doing this in obedience to you. And you wake up a year later and you, found out, and you find out it was absolutely the wrong decision. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God's going to redeem it. He's going to teach you lessons along the way that you would have learned in no other way. And he'll get you where you need to be. He'll, he'll take care of you. When a man's heart is consumed with a desire to obey his God it's hard to make a wrong decision because God's going to be in all of them, using them to make us more like Christ. Have courage. Be a man of courage. Don't let yourself be paralyzed. I'm not, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind and, and, and hey, I'm just going to jump and God will... I'm saying wrestle it out and then do your best to obey. And God will lead you one step at a time. He just will. He just will. He will lead you one step at a time. His leading is progressive. Always remember this. We think like this. I'm in this job. I've got a decision to make. If I leave, I can't. Or whatever the circumstance is. And we're thinking of that. What God's thinking about is, how can I make this man more like my son Jesus? So God's saying, I'll use whatever I have to work with here to accomplish my goals for this man's life. And I'll sort through the other stuff as we go along. But the important thing is for this man to become more like Jesus. God leads us progressively in this. The third thing that I want to mention from this story is what I'm going to call a manly challenge. I can't think of any challenge more profound than take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go off from as a sacrifice in the land that I will show you. This is a manly challenge, and this is where it's hard for me to stay sitting in this seat, and I know I've been given permission to move a little bit. Men, Isaac represented two things to Abraham that we see in this text. Isaac represented two things to Abraham. The first one is the thing that he loved most. Take your son, your only son, the one you love. It was that which Abraham loved. And the second thing is, it was his hope for the future. Every promise that God had given to Abraham God had told Abraham would be fulfilled through his son Isaac. And now he's telling Abraham to kill his son. Isaac was his hope for the future. It was his hope for every promise that God had ever given to him. And God is telling him, put it to death. Isaac represented that which he loved. 
and that which was the hope for his future. And this is what God calls him to lay down in sacrifice of devotion to the Lord his God. And what we're told in Scripture is this. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19 tell us this. The reason why Abraham was able to do this was because he so believed God's promises that these promises would be fulfilled through Isaac. Abraham, we're told specifically in the book of Hebrews, Abraham believed that if he had to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God, that God was going to raise him from the dead. That's what we're told. He absolutely believed that the promises of God would be fulfilled. That God would raise Isaac from the dead if need be. And the writer of Hebrews says, that's exactly what happened, but not literally in a figure. He lays him on the altar, and he raises the knife above him, and Isaac figuratively dies. In Abraham's heart, this child is dead. And God says, don't do it. I'm going to give him back to you. Life from death. I'm going to give him back to you. Abraham is willing to go through with this because he believes that God is going to raise Isaac from the dead. But please hear this. Men, we have to come to terms with the fact that, that the most manly challenge God can give to us is the challenge of laying down that which we love, that which is our hope for the future. And... and And there's some things in this that you and I need to understand. Men, I wrote this, thought about it a good bit, and I did this deliberately. Men, we were made for hard things. We crave them, and we fear them, and we avoid them. You know, men, we really do crave hard things. Because we like a challenge, and we want to feel like we've accomplished something. Is that correct? Men, we want a challenge. We love a good challenge. Tell us we can't do it, and we'll give it a shot. Because that's what we are. We've got enough competitiveness in us. Maybe a little arrogance. Whatever it is, there's something about us that takes a challenge and says, I, I, like, I'll go for it. I'll give it a try. Right? There's something about us that craves a good challenge. The problem is we all have a challenge we fear. We all have a place that we don't want to be challenged. That the challenge, like... There's a lot of ways I want to be challenged, but I'm scared to death that I'm going to get challenged in a specific way. And as a consequence, what I said earlier in the service, I believe, is absolutely true. We will accept certain challenges because we're avoiding others. We really will. What? Because we at least give the impression of manliness and willingness to accept a challenge, so long as we don't have to do the one we don't want to do. Right? I'll go to church, but don't ask me to read a book. I'll take any challenge, as long as I don't have to read a book. Whatever it is for you, that's a silly one. But please hear this. All of us have challenges that we don't want to accept, and we will avoid. And I just want you to know that that's probably the one thing that God wants you to embrace. It's probably the thing that if you would embrace it, you would find that it will put you to death and then raise you to life again. That when you've died the death, you'll find a life on the other side that you didn't even know was there. You were created for a challenge. And I think in this story, in fact, I think what you'll find throughout Scripture is that this is actually a pretty common experience with the saints of God throughout Scripture. That they're asked to do the thing that they least want to do. 
the thing that they're most afraid of, the thing that they would avoid at all costs, and, and that through that thing, God does a work both in their lives and through their lives that is so powerful and so profound. Now listen, I want to make sure that you hear what I'm not saying. Here's what I'm not saying. Think of the most miserable thing you can think of and then deliberately go out and do it. Here's the beautiful thing about these tests. You don't have to come up with them on your own. (laughs) Okay? But please hear this. If you're sitting here and you're wrestling with knowing in your heart of hearts that there's something God has put his finger on in your life, God is asking you to do something. Please hear this. Don't avoid it. Don't put it off any longer. Lean into it. Embrace it. Take it on. And I promise you, God will meet you in it. God will meet you there. We were created. We were born for hard things. The fourth one is true worship. Verse 5, true worship. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship. You've heard me talk about the law of first mention. The first time something is mentioned in scripture often holds the key to understanding it throughout scripture. This is the first time in the Bible the word worship appears. We, in our modern church era, we associate Worship with things that feel good. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. And we all feel good singing the song. But the biblical concept of worship is when it means that you have to do the hard thing, true worship is obedience to God at all costs, no matter what the sacrifice is. My, my mom is here, finally moved to this area. She taught me a big lesson in life. I was standing in a, sitting in a church. It was a really ugly church, too, in Spain. And everything about it was miserable. My dad had just left on a trip. The church starts singing songs on a Sunday night. I'm feeling rather down. It's a dingy building. There's nothing but some... some What are those long fluorescent lights, stark white, just everything about it I didn't enjoy. I'm sad, my dad's gone, and I'm sitting there, and I hope she doesn't mind, this is the way I remember it. My mom looks at me and says, Stephen, stand up and sing. And I look up and I say, I don't want to. And she says, stand up and sing. And I say, I don't want to. And she goes, Stand up and sing. (laughs) That's the way I remember it. Listen to this, because this is also true. This is the way I remember it. She immediately softened and sat down next to me, and she said, Stand up and sing. It will make you feel better. And so I stood up, because I was too afraid to disobey. And I started mumbling, but I started singing. And as the song service went on, I sang a little stronger and a little stronger and a little stronger. And by the end of the song service, my spirit had lifted. And the discouragement and the sadness were gone. My brothers and sisters, singing when it's hard... Obeying when you don't want to. Sacrificing for the Lord when it's inconvenient. This is true worship. And God meets us in true worship. This is really what worship is. It's not about these feel-good moments. It's about our devotion to God even when it costs us something. You see, living, living a life of true obedience... It involves obedience, listen, of worship is, is obedience at, at true expense, at real expense to us. And please hear this. 
And it's really a mark of noble manhood. Men, can you live worship? Can you live worship? Will you obey the Lord your God when it's hard? When you turn from when you turn your eyes from evil men, you are worshiping. It's worship. You are worshiping the Lord your God. You might have no sense of his presence and no feel goods at all in the moment, but I want you to know this. God sees, sees your worship in that moment. You have given yourself to him. This is what worship is. The thing I close with is this idea of needed provision. Verse 8, verse 14 in this text. Verse 8, verse 14. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Verse 14. Abraham called the name of the place, that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Listen. This verse has been applied to physical material provision. There's a little bit of truth to that. Like I, 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 I can say I, I really do. I, I have learned to some degree to trust the Lord to provide for us, and I and I believe He does that. But I got to tell you, I've got to put this in the context of Christian history, and lots of brothers and sisters have struggled for a long time. There are lots of brothers and sisters that haven't had a whole lot to eat. I have to factor this in somewhere. Okay? I really do believe God provides. I believe Christians sometimes suffer. Somewhere there's some way that that works out, and I guess maybe in eternity I'll figure it out. But I'm willing to say I trust God to provide for my physical material needs. But i got to tell you, that is way secondary to what this passage is really about. My brothers and sisters, the way it says it in verse 14 is, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. In Abraham's experience, that that was Mount Moriah where God provided the ram in place of Isaac. But you know, we all know what that verse is really about. That verse was really about Mount Calvary, where Jesus is provided as the sacrifice for our sin. And then I have to close with this. You want to know what God has provided for you above all other things? What he has provided for you is his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive your sin and to transform your life from the man that you would be without Jesus into the man that you can be with Jesus. It's what 2 Peter 1 verses 2 through 8 was talking about when when Peter writes and says, God has given us all things, all things that we need for a life of godliness. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the transformation of our character and who we are. That God spares no expense in providing for us, listen to this, what we actually need as men. Grace to forgive our sins. Power to overcome our bad habits. Deliverance from insecurity and from shame. A powerful Holy Spirit to walk with us, to convict us and to teach us and to restrain us in those places where we can't restrain ourselves and to free us in those places where we need to be set free. My brothers and sisters, God wants to build men in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's provided everything we need for that. He did it on the Mount of Crucifixion. He's done it in the revelation of Jesus Christ in His Word. He's provided for us all things that we need for a life of godliness. And so I want to call you today to answer this question honestly. Men, what do you most actually need?
I'm not, I'm not talking about a million dollars. What do you need as a man? What's your biggest need? I want you to know that the crucifixion, its primary meaning is that God offers His Son as the sacrifice of your sin to forgive you and to provide you with everlasting life. But I also want you to know that underneath that is this idea that God spares nothing that you and I need for a life of godliness. He provides on the mount the example. He provides on that mount of crucifixion the power, the strength, the, the, the illustration of the cross that must be embraced, the, the strength of a resurrection life on the other side. He provides us all we need for a life of godliness. And this is what he calls us to. Listen, not, not making up your own challenge. Where does God challenge you this morning? Where does he put his finger on and say, my son, you've dragged your feet long enough. I've been convicting you. This is the step I want you to take. Obey. Follow me. Man, I want you to know, coming from a man who's made a lot of mistakes, you can get away with a lot of mistakes. If you're sincere and your mistakes are made trying to be obedient to God. Because when those are your mistakes, you'll wake up one morning and you'll humbly repent and you'll ask for forgiveness wherever you need to ask for it. And it's an amazing thing that that becomes part of the testimony of your life and God uses it to touch people around you. But the call for us is to be that, that man that is willing to sell everything he has and give up everything he has for the sake of Christ. And to be willing to let God touch every part of your life that, that nothing is left unexposed to him. He has permission to, to command you in any way he wants to. And you will say, yes, Lord. And please hear this. And the sooner you do it, the better off you'll be, no matter how hard it is. No matter how hard it is. Listen, it's a Father's Day message, and I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm piling on. That's probably what it sounds like. But I want you to know that in this, there is, there is the Hobbit's call to the great adventure. <laughs> My friends, it's the great adventure of your life. And the call is a call that something inside of us as men wants we can get up the courage to take it. And yeah, and yeah, listen, adventures are nasty things. But man, when you come back, your whole perspective of the whole world has changed and you can never see things again. You're part of the big picture, right? And you have the delight of knowing that God did something in you and did something through you. So don't think of it as being piled on. Think of it as being challenged and called to something exciting, something grand, something big. Embrace, embrace the call. Embrace the challenge this morning. Be God's man. Listen to what he's saying to you and respond to it. Do the hard thing and watch him bless you through it. He will. He will. Would you bow with me as we close? On the back counter, there are some books. It's a combination Sunday school lesson and uh, Father's Day gift. Those of you that have received books for, for, for the Sunday school the last couple weeks, 
let the other men take their Father's Day books first. Men, I encourage all of you dads, all of you dads, to make sure you take a book this morning. There are three books back there. One's on marriage, and two are on spiritual leadership. I encourage you to take one with you, dads, and then I encourage you to read them. Okay? Men, I want to ask you this morning, what's your biggest challenge? What's your biggest challenge? Right now, it might be something like, my wife or one of my kids is driving me crazy. I need help, God. I'll tell you the help he's going to give you. The most likely thing is he's not going to give you the answer to fix that woman or that child. (laughs) What he's going to do is he's going to identify the thing in you that needs to be dealt with so that you can love that child or that wife better. And you'll find that the thing that's driving you crazy doesn't drive you so crazy anymore. What's the biggest challenge that you have right now? What's your biggest need right now? Can I ask you, what's the thing that you would most like to avoid that you know in your heart of hearts you shouldn't avoid any longer? Like you know God is calling you to this. You know God has put his finger on this and you've just been avoiding it too long. What is it? I ask you this morning on Father's Day to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit and to say, okay, God, here I go. If you'll help me, I'll jump in the deep end. Be gracious to me and help me. Catch me. Strengthen me for this. Maybe there are some of you here that you're like, "Eh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. All right, that's okay. Your day will come. God God will lead you. But there's, I think, probably a few of us in here that know for certain there are some things that God would put his finger on and call us to. And so I'm asking you to respond this morning. Lord, I ask you to bless these men. Children, would you lay your hands on your dads? Wives, would you lay your, put your arms around your husbands? Would you just take a second and start lifting them before the Lord right now? Men, you are a gift. Men, I'm not joking when I say this. I am blessed to be in company with men like you in this fellowship. I really happen to think that we have a lot. We have, I have it really good. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. There are so many good men that we have the privilege of fellowshipping with. None of us are perfect, but good men. God bless you this Father's Day. Lord, we lift these men before you today. Lord, I cry out to you on on their behalf. Lord, you know the burdens they carry. You know the responsibilities they have. Some of them are deeply tired in their souls today and need you to renew their strength. They desperately need to find you somewhere in the midst of the battle that they are fighting. And Lord, I ask that you would come to them, that you would meet with them. I pray that this day would refresh them. I pray that the love of their wives and the love of their children would be expressed in such a way that it would be energy-giving, life-giving to them. Lord, I pray that you would come to them by the power of your spirit and through the truth of your word, that you would give them the grace to walk the hard road that they've been called to walk. And Lord, that they would find that you meet them in dark places, that they would find you, O Lord, doing strong things in their lives, Lord, delivering them in those places where they're weak and where they fail, Lord, strengthening their feet to walk obediently as men of God and men of integrity before you. Lord, I call upon you. I ask you to bless these men, to reward them for their faithfulness to you. And yes, Lord, to provide for them all things that they need. 
Come to them, O God, and strengthen them as your men, I pray. Meet them, O God. Give them courage. Give them strength. Renew to them their hope for the future, even if it means the confidence that you will raise the dead on their behalf, Lord. Give them renewed hope for their future, I pray. Lord, speak to them in this day, I ask. And Lord, whether we do it perfectly or not, whether maybe we make some mistakes along the way or not, let them be sincere mistakes, not sinful ones. But Lord, as we endeavor to obey you, I just ask that you would be a safety net beneath each one of these men. And that, Lord, as they endeavor to obey you faithfully, whether, whether it seems like that choice in the moment is exactly the right one later on, Lord, would you vindicate their, their sincerity before you by causing all things to work together for their good. Draw them close to yourself through every experience in life. And Lord, provide for them in every way they have need of. Meet them and bless them, I pray. And Lord, give us grace. It's not easy. Lord, we're fallen people. We have those areas where we're still broken. Lord, would you bless these marriages? Would you help these wives to love their husbands despite their imperfections? Would you help these men to love their wives and lay down their lives for them despite their imperfections? Would you give us a sincere desire, O oh Lord, to be the best version of ourselves that your Holy Spirit can help us to be for each other's sake? And ultimately, for your honor, for your glory, and for your kingdom, use us, I pray. Lord, I'm so grateful. Bless these, your people. Keep them in your care. Bless them today, richly, with your presence, I ask. Refresh, renew. Restore our hearts, Lord. Draw us to yourself as we endeavor to walk with you. Thank you for these men, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Men, happy Father's Day to you. You're good men. You're good men. God bless you. Make sure you get a book and happy Father's Day to you. I'll see you in five weeks. You brought me to your